Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby, where we hope to be informative and entertaining and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. Welcome, fellow modelers. This is your host, Mike. Dave and I welcome you to episode 19. We have a lot of ground to cover, so let's get started with Plastic Model Mojo. Well, Dave, we're back again for another episode. How are you doing this week? Not bad, not bad. How about yourself? Well, I'm pretty good for a Monday. We upgraded the internet service last week to a fiber optic carrier with about twice the bandwidth. And uh, in addition to that, I'm also cat sixed right into the router now. So I'm enjoying every last megabit. <laughs> well, uh, did that have anything to do with having two teenage boys and an Xbox? Uh, probably a little bit. Probably yeah. did. Um, I have no doubt. So uh, what modeling fluid are you... Uh, imbibing on to imbibing tonight i'm working on a little johnny drum private stock johnny drum private stock never heard of it johnny drum private stock is uh well there's a couple different labels a black and a green i think uh but it's a kentucky bourbon it's uh bottled by willet distillery which you yeah, you you had their pot still on here a past episode, but that's down in Bardstown, Kentucky. It's about 101 proof, and this this stuff used to have several years ago used to have a 15 year age statement uh, on it, but it doesn't have that anymore. So I'm not real sure what's going on there, and I, the price point now doesn't isn't indicative of one that old anymore. So I don't know what it is. Uh, it's a little hot for a 101 proof. Got a lot of ethanol. Mm-hmm coming off of it and I, I get a kind of a apple and oak on the nose and it's i tell you it's it's syrupy sweet and neat especially really? if you hold on to it hold on to it a minute or two before you send it on down uh water water really helps that out a lot though how do when you say sweet how does it compare to like makers which is you know sweet sweet it's sweeter it's sweeter than makers mark really i have never had a bourbon that would yes <laughs> Wow. Yes. That's that that's my opinion. But hmm. a little water cuts that back and it's 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 not bad. I've liked it. Have, I've enjoyed it. I'll have to search it out. That's interesting. What are you on? What are you on to tonight? Well, I'm still uh <laughs> right now, since it's still summertime, I am still uh uh doing beers. The one I've got tonight, it's called Florida Man, uh, which for those uh, listeners not in the United States uh, is a meme on the internet because people in Florida do really crazy stuff. It's out of a brewery called uh, Cigar City Brewing out of Tampa, Florida. I've actually had one of their beers previously when I was down in one of their breweries in Tampa with my wife. I had a beer that they made called High Lie. And um, I saw this in the store, decided uh, uh, I liked the name. Uh, I had enjoyed the the beer that I'd had when I was down there on vacation previously. So I thought I'd give it a shot, even though it's a 
double IPA, so not my not my normal wheelhouse. It's about eight 8.5% alcohol by volume, so a lot calmer than what you're drinking. And uh, not bad. Not bad. Um, it's not as hoppy as they're, you know, they're advertising it as crazy, crazy amount of hops. But it really, it's it's not offensively hoppy. Uh, has a little bit of a citrus slash apricot flavor, although that's not in the ingredients. But uh, I think this will get me through the episode. It's pretty good. Well, I'll have to check out those Florida beers. I don't know if I've ever had a Florida beer. I'll tell you what, the mailbag's pretty full once again for this episode. It's always good news. Yeah, this just keeps getting more fun, man. We've got Tim Cavalier from Moscow, Idaho. He was... uh, well, we mentioned a modeling jig last last episode, right? And he was he was commenting about one that was visible in one of his Facebook posts, and some of his uh, fellow modelers or modeling buddies uh, were asking about it, and he told them what it was, and and that it was a thirty dollar kind of price point. And to his surprise, some of these guys attributed the price to some of the trends that they thought were causing the demise of the hobby. Hmm. How so? I don't understand. It's just too expensive. That's what they're getting at. And, you know, for me, tools are a, are a value proposition, right? Yes. Is is the convenience or improvement or finesse that the, the tool offers worth the price? And clearly for a decent alignment jig or modeling stand, that's 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 a clear yes for me. I think you would agree, too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, the more I've, more I've modeled and the more... Uh, in fact, I experienced something uh, very similar just recently. As you know, Photo Etch is not normally our friend, uh, all deference to our, our uh, Aussie friends aside. But this uh, uh, trumpeter gun I was working on has Photo Etch. And so I got out my Mission Models Photo Etch bending jig, which I know even when I purchased it 20 some odd years ago was a whole lot more than $30. But certainly having the right tool for the right job and a quality tool at that, because it's a the Mission Models Photo Etch jig is is very well made. It really made a difference, and I was able to bend the Photo Etch just the way it needed to be bent. And uh, uh, so, I'm, I'm like you. I, I I think I'm more likely to pay money for a tool than than maybe a kit, as far as price points go. Well, I, I'm left to borrow a line from a band and a musical genre that that frequents my bench time playlist. And uh, if thirty dollars is a threshold for tool heartburn, then, then Tim, they aren't from Moscow; they're living in their own private Idaho. <laughs> so, the first listener who can tell me where that comes from gets a shout out in the next episode. Um, he also gave us a great future topic, uh, which I'll keep under wraps for now. But uh, we'll All talk right. about that. We're good later in the week and we'll we'll have us a another another topic sounds good steve burke told uh once again he's somebody he is thanking us for our repost of the mission models tips from john miller's website we're getting a lot of mileage out of that we've been handing that out like halloween candy (laughs) we've got to get john on here sometime i know he's we've already talked and he's agreeable okay well we'll have to do that um well, back to Steve. He's switching from a tester's acro line. You know, he's a bit out of luck on that. On that, Woo. so uh, 
he's looking for a replacement. He he's definitely stepping up. Uh, I have never had any good experience with Tester's Ackerel. Well, it doesn't matter now, does it? <laughs> yeah, no, it, uh, it does not. Ryan Allen writes us from uh, County Antrim in the north of Ireland. All right. And he's, he sent us a pic of his brew and his uh, mini art Panzer Three Aus B. So, Ryan, please give us the straight scoop on that kit. I've not built a kind of a large content mini art kit. I'm, I'm slogging through a Zis 2 anti-tank gun, as you may know, if you've listened to us very long. And uh, I'm really curious how the, when you go all in with a big kit of theirs, how that, how that works out. So please let us know. He also recommends Hop House 13 Lager, which I think is a Guinness product. Oh, really? I didn't know they made yeah, specialty to, products I, other than the, the blonde that they've released in the U.S. market. Well, I'm sure he'll set us straight on that. Um, now, he asks us a question. Now, just let me finish before you jump in with an answer here. Um, All right. Ryan asks, what kit are you most looking forward to? So so hang on. I, I, I think you need to guess mine. I need to guess yours. I think we need to do it that way. So what kit am I most look forward, looking forward to? It's got to be a T-34 kit. The red label T-34 from MiniArt. Ah, that would be correct. Yes. Oh, I want the one without you. the interior Yay. in it. Yay, you win the prize. <laughs> All right. I think yours is a fine molds F4 Phantom. No, it's not, but that is oh. high on... That's close. It's high on the list, but the one that it, it is absolutely a, well, uh, a must-have, uh, we'll get to fa- we'll get to in faves and yawn. I'll keep it under wrap for, for a couple of minutes. And, uh, because, uh, I got some very good news this week and, uh, uh, in the, on the model front. So I'll, I'll tell you more about it down, down the, down the road, just a little bit. Drew Oliver from Kitsap County, Washington state. Now, Drew, when somebody in our state of Kentucky tells us what county they're from instead of what city or town they're from, that means the uh, the town they're from has like a post office and a stop sign. That's about it. Yep. And a lot of Washington is like that. Everybody thinks of Seattle and Tacoma. That's pretty much uh, the rest of the state. You're right. Uh, Drew puts us onto another couple of uh, work holders. One's from your new favorite RP Tools. Mm-hmm. At $29, this one utilizes magnets to hold the model to the to the holder yep. and uh he rec- he recommends this to me because he, he heard i was drilling a hole in my tank to put it on my little homemade job <laughs> well that that is an alternative a good alternative this one weighs in at 29 dollars. that's not too bad no that isn't the other is uh, the octopus modeling jig from uh sakura modera from lebanon that's interesting huh Never heard of it. 55, 55 bucks, and that one's suitable for a wide variety of modeling genre. Now, I, and I doubt you as well, have any experience with these. So uh, we'll put up the links that he sent me, and the listeners can decide on their own. And I'd like to hear anybody that's used either of them. I mean, we want we want feedback from you all. If we mention something that you all have utilized, give us your experience, because that's a big part of... Uh, what Mike and I are trying to do here is, you know, it helps your model mojo if you can avoid mistakes that other people have learned from and 
So a big exchange of information is is a big part of what we want to see. So if or if any of you've had that kind of experience with those pro- any of these products, please tell us. So the next one I forwarded you in case you want to do a little homework on it. It's from uh, Eric Simmelmayer. And mm-hmm. he was expressing some some aftermarket woes, and he'd already asked the benchers, and they answered him in their latest episode. But he wanted our our United States take on it, kind of a multi part thing. Uh, he's talking about aftermarket in general, and he's asking mm-hmm. you know the best things to, to the best things to detail on a forty eighth or seventy second scale aircraft. I'm going to let you take that one. I'll take that real quick. My opinion: if you're not going to open up the canopy to the aircraft, then other than maybe a replacement Yahoo panel or a replacement seat, everything else aftermarket in a cockpit is a waste of time, um, even in 48 scale, but truly in 72nd scale, simply because you're not going to see it. It's just a look. Cockpits in their best best of times are light sinks. And so, uh, especially looking through a canopy, it's really hard to see anything. So I don't recommend if you're going to keep the canopy closed that you put much into the cockpit. Now, if you're going to open the canopy, then, you know, there are aftermarket uh, photo etch, there's aftermarket resin, there's vacuform canopies. If you're going to open a canopy, that makes a big difference. I think it's it's worth it. Um, the other place that I think aftermarket is works on, say, 72nd or 48th scale aircraft is external detail. Replacement gear door covers, replacement wheels. The wheels stand out on 72nd scale or 48th scale models. Uh, they draw a, a nice set of aftermarket resin wheels properly painted and weathered can really draw the eye. I do think some of the aftermarket weathering products can can enhance the model. This is also probably one place that photo etch does come in handy from time to time. Now there's a lot of photo etch that's too tiny and is a waste of time and no better than what you're cutting off the kit to replace or what you're adding. But uh, some photo etch external detail sets can have some stuff that really adds to the look of the model. And he also asked the same question on 35th scale armor. That's you. Well, yeah, but uh, you know, I wasn't sure if you meant the best aftermarket from a brand perspective or best opportunity for improvement. So like you just did, I'm going to go with the latter and, and assume you're asking about the best opportunity for improvement. Uh, with armor, that's clearly the engine screens was is, is a biggie. Um, the fenders and mudguards, particularly the the ends, the mud guards on the ends, not so much the the span of fender from front to back, though sometimes you might want to do that as well. When you're posing stowage boxes in their open position, I, l- I like photo etch for that because you're talking about sheet metal and most photo etch is like uh, about five thousandths of an inch, which uh, isn't bad for sheet metal in 35th scale. And then they're, they're fiddly and they're probably going to get obsoleted, well, at least in photo etch. Uh, it's tool clips and clamps and that sort of thing. But even the newer uh, 3D printed ones, there's some new ones out that were, were announced fairly recently that look like a look like a pretty good pretty good deal. Um, so those are the kind of things I, I would typically replace when I'm building a model. Um, you know, some of these builds where folks are replacing the entire superstructure on an open top fighting vehicle. I mean, that's getting pretty intense there, and I'm not sure 
I would go there personally. Uh, but the things I just mentioned, wait, kind of wait a minute, was, let, I, wait a minute, let me stop you. You have gone there before. Not with Photo Edge. No, not with Photo Edge. You did it scratch building on that SU-76. Well, so, working in plastic is a lot easier than working in uh, working in brass or something like that, in my opinion. I do agree. I do agree. But, <laughs> but you're, you're not completely free of the crazy when it comes to... Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not... No, nope. <laughs> I'm Jack Nicholson in one floor of the cuckoo's nest. That's right. He also asked how to know if an aftermarket set will work for your kit. Now he he was on scale mates and wasn't having the having the success he wanted to have there. So he's just gonna have to research and and start backtracking. If scale mates gives you a product number for a specific line, you're gonna have to go the the next step and and jump onto the web and not uh, and get outside of scale mates. I, I suspect. Uh, yeah. To see, to see what goes with what. Some of the manufacturers, at least for Photo Etch, like Aber and Edward, actually have pretty good websites. Not only do they have pretty good uh, cross-reference for what kits their sets are intended for, but they also have the instruction sheets on there, which is really helpful. That lets you know if it's going to yes. help you or not, or, or if it's anything you even want to get into. I agree. Some of, the, some of those Aber sets are a big, hairy deal, and... It gets to be a value proposition again there, <laughs> whether yeah. you want to go there or not. Now, I, I will praise the photo etch and the resin manufacturers who do that, who on their website provide you not only a picture of whatever the item they're selling is, but actually provide you a link to the instructions so you can go look at it and say, this will help me because I am going to replace these items or I would I would attempt to replace these items or look at it and go, no, those aren't the areas I'm interested in. So this set, this set isn't going to help me that much. I, I wish more manufacturers would make on their website, not just a picture of the item that's being sold, but go that one step You've got the instructions already done up. Go ahead and make them available on the website so that modelers can take a look and, and make a more informed decision. And that's exactly what I use them for. He also asked the best place to buy aftermarket. And for me, I'll, I'll go first here. Um, I buy a lot of this on eBay. And I buy a fair amount of it directly from the maker. And if you can't buy it from the maker, sometimes I will buy it from a, a reputable supplier in the country of origin because sometimes that's the only way to get some of this stuff. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. Well, uh, I do one of three things. One, I've got a great LHS here, local hobby shop here in Louisville. You know, even if it's not always the cheapest deal, uh, many times I will try and go through the LHS simply because... He supports us. Uh, him, him being there is good for us. So I'll throw him that business that I might be able to to source elsewhere. If I'm trying to buy aftermarket, I will go to the manufacturer themselves unless they're in a place that it might take a long period of time for the stuff to get to you. There's, and this is almost you learn by feel. Uh, some postal systems are much better than than others. And, uh, you know, if you order something from, and I'm just 
picking a country. Albania, you know, their postal system may not be as efficient as Canada. But I like to try and order from the manufacturer themselves because uh, they get the most return. And, you know, a lot of these things are not are not high margin businesses. Some of this stuff is being done by people who, you know, they're doing it for the love of it as much as to make it a full-time going concern. So anytime I can throw business to an original manufacturer of the product, I'll try and do that. Now, one thing I'll add that if you're outside kind of the mainstream suppliers, like for PhotoEdit's example, maybe Aber or Edward, like we already mentioned, or some of the Asian makers that are pretty readily available. Uh, and even some of the resin accessories, there's several brands out there that are fairly pr- prolific that aren't that hard to get. But if it's an esoter- esoteric subject, sometimes the aftermarket for those is equally esoteric and you got to buy it when you see it. For example, I just ordered two days ago, some wheel sets for a Vulcan model's Soviet STZ-5 uh, artillery tractor. Now that kit's out of production now. You can bet I ordered more than one because there's a couple I might be interested in doing and they weren't that expensive. But uh, that's an example of when you just got to pop on something because it's it's there. Yeah, absolutely. You don't want, while eBay is a great resource for finding things that are no longer available, you cannot guarantee when you get down to that project that you want to do that that really esoteric piece of aftermarket is going to be available. His his final question involved uh, plastic aftermarket tracks because uh, he's not a big fan of the Fruel model price point, and I'm not either, especially because they never give you a right and left like they tell you they're going to. Plastic aftermarket tracks in 35th score is a little tough. Um because if you go with the, the newer model cast and workable sets, they're just as expensive, as not, if not more so, than the Fruel tracks. And I would argue they're harder to put together and they're a lot less versatile because you don't get the, you can't do any of the tricks you can do with the Fruel tracks because they're made out of metal. But if you don't need the workable tracks, uh, the older non-working model casting sets, if you can find them, can be pre- found pretty cheap. Uh, I've typically picked those up at model shows for... a set. And another option for those is there's some eBay sellers out there now that are selling sprues from kits. They're like parting out kits and you might be able to find the dragon magic tracks or the dragon uh, sprue uh, track sprues on eBay or from fellow modelers. That'd be another Avenue to to get those, but uh, not, not, not really a lot of easy options there except looking hard and and buying what you can when you see it. I'm, you know, you and I are going to have to talk about that at some time in the future, uh, maybe off off air. But the idea that kits are being parted out really intrigues me, and I, I wonder, I kind of wonder the genesis of the business and how it's being done and where the where the sprues are coming from and. So you and I may have to talk about that because that, that's kind of interesting. Our friend from Australia, Tony Jacobs, back. And uh, I hope you saw this, but uh, he did kind of a a review and tutorial on the Molotov chrome pen refill, actually airbrushing yes. the stuff. Yep. And he also did he also did one on Walther's uh, Solva set as a, as a decal setting solution. On the bench, and I think also... Scale model podcasts have, have 
addressed these already and we can further these as long as well. He, he did a couple of great little short articles on these and I, you know, maybe we ought to run them in tactical notes. Well, actually uh, funny. You say that when, when you, fo- when you forwarded those to me, uh, I contacted Tony and, and asked him if he minded with proper attribution, of course, if I would publish it in tactical notes, which is our local club newsletter and publish it as an article on my blog. And he graciously granted me permission. So the Molotov uh, Chrome pen refill article is going to be both in tactical notes and on my blog in the very near future. Well, good. So Tony, thank you for that. You did a, you, you did the community a, a favor by sending, sending us that information. So we appreciate Ex- that. Absolutely. Now, the final one here for listener mail is from uh, Kip Jackson, and I didn't get a location. His The phone number he put in looked like it might be from uh, kind of Ann Arbor, Michigan area, but uh, he closed his email with cheers, which makes me think that uh, maybe a country code was left off the phone number. Maybe he's in the UK. Yeah. I, I don't really know, but, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Uh, if you want to tell us where you're from, we'd appreciate it. But he asked about a method to recycle kit sprues. You know, this comes up all the time. Uh, you know, I, I'd seen it before, too. And he asked a, a straight up question and I want to give him uh, the best answer I can. And, and I did send him an email reply, a rather lengthy one. And uh, we kind of poked around on this. But, uh, you know, this is a is a tough thing. If, if you want to do this, it's it's not easy because typically in the injection mold industry, the sprues never leave the mold house and they're immediately collected automatically usually and put through a regrinder and reintroduced with some virgin material back into the process. Well, for a model kit, the sprue and the part, the kit part, are the part that the is coming off the mold. That entire thing is the part coming off the mold, right? So the sprues right. go out the door with the kit. And I got online when he asked and, you know, Poker asked the same question to Google that he asked us. The, the problem is you got a lot of guys saying, "Oh, I just put it in this in the city, uh, you know, our street our street uh, curbside bin." But you know, those sprues don't have a, a recycle code on them, and right. that's not working. Those those are getting thrown away. In fact, it may be Indeed. worse than that. You may you may be tainting your entire recycling bin if you do that. True enough. Um, I suggested that he contact uh, an injection molder in his area and see if they wouldn't mind taking them back. Uh, but still, mm-hmm. you have the same problem is they're not coated and they're having to take his word for it that it's polystyrene. Right. Not an easy thing to resolve. I mean, if, if you're if you're inclined to recycle. It, well, and there's an additional problem on top of all of that, which is the styrene once molded, you know, you clip all the parts off it and you got a sprue that you want to recycle because you want to be a good human being and you don't want to throw it in the trash. The problem is that Having been molded once, that styrene is not as useful to an injection molder as virgin styrene. So they do, it's what you refer to, it's regrind, where they take it up and grind it and introduce it back in. But a lot of manufacturers are very reticent regarding the amount of regrind they use because it affects the quality of the plastic. So you kind of have to find somebody who is is willing to use it, who, you know, maybe their purpose isn't models 
but some other styrene product where the amount of regrind doesn't make as big a difference. It it is a shame that there's no easy answer to this question. There's not, and and for for those who are interested, the the, the issue with the regrind is, for example, recycling glass. Glass is an amorphous material. When you melt it down, it's just the same as it was the first time it was ever melted because it has no it has no structure to it when it solidifies. Right. Plastics are 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 made up of hydrocarbon chains, and you mold it. Now the mold operation itself really doesn't damage it, but when you regrind it, you're tearing those hydrocarbon chains apart when you when you grind it up. So the material that's been reground no longer has the same material properties that the virgin material has. That's that's why you can only put it in in certain percentages, uh, right. d- depending on what your application is. You know, from my former job and my injection mold experience, we could allow on some parts up to 25% regrind sometimes. But that regrind was coming off the sprues that were making those same parts. It wasn't just junk material coming in from wherever. Right. And that's the primary reason why recycling plastics is hard for, for all plastics. I mean, if you, if you made a thousand or a million milk jugs and then took those million milk jugs and reground them and tried to make milk jugs with it again, eventually that's not going to work anymore. Exactly. That's kind of a simple example of of, of what's going on there because it changes the material properties. So if any, if anybody out there has a suggestion other than our city picks up plastic in the recycle bin, because that's not going to work. Trust me. We'd love to hear it. Now, like I said, like I told Kip, you might check with an injection molder and if if they're confident of what you're giving them is polystyrene, they may take it. They may may regrind it for you. I don't know. It's worth asking. Well, and especially if it's a lesser industrial use where they're they're using it for something that has uh, a less of a quality control issue like they're making a you know a holder for uh you know a part that gets put in a box to get shipped somewhere and so the quality right. of the plastic doesn't make as much difference all right well that's there's a lot of listener mail but there's some good stuff there so keep it coming that's a ton of it. Now, this is the point in the uh, episode where I ask everybody, uh, when you're done with this episode, if you would not mind, please go and give us a five-star review on whatever podcasting app you're listening on. Uh, it helps us to, it drives the algorithm up and makes us more visible and gets us more listeners. So we've been getting more and more listeners over the last few episodes, and uh, we appreciate it. Two other things. One, if you enjoy the show, tell somebody. I mean, we love it when you tell us, but tell your modeling friends about it. Hey, you should listen to this. The best advertising we can get is word of mouth, is other people recommending us to their modeling friends. Uh, finally, I'd like to urge any of you who is not who are not members of your national IPMS chapter, either IPMS USA, or if you're not in the United States, you know, IPMS Australia or IPMS New Zealand or IPMS Norway. If you're out there and you're a model builder, but you're not a member of your national chapter, please consider ponying up the money. It's not that expensive. And though the the national chapters do, the national organizations do a lot of good for modeling and uh, it's worth it. If you reach out and do that, I'd appreciate it. In addition to that, we'd like you to support our fellow podcasting friends out there. 
Scale Model Podcast out of Canada is up to episode 53, and Stuart Clark has managed his first episode without his uh, trusty sidekick. Seems like he's getting a plan together, and we we wish him success in his new uh, formatting. The big thing to come out of his episode is is, uh, a modeling survey he's running. Please take their survey. It can be accessed uh, via the uh, Scale Model Podcast website, and it's right in the middle of their menu bar at the top of the screen, so give that a click. And uh, it won't take you about 10, 12 minutes to, to knock that out. Everybody's really interested to see what, what comes of that. In addition, our friends in Australia on the bench with uh, Dave, Ian, and Julian are up to episode 101. And a couple of things came out of their most recent episode, if you haven't heard it and you need to go hear it, is that uh, there's a new program out there called the Golden Sprue Award. And this is an initiative initiative started by uh, Warren Sterrett out of Ireland. And uh, he contacted us as well about this. And it's an annual industry award across a lot of categories, airplane, armor, or military vehicles, paints and supplies, that sort of thing. Uh, but it's a, it's a consumer uh, voted award. Please check out Warren's interview on On the Bench and please participate in his program. The nominations for uh, these Golden Sprue Awards in the various categories is open until September 27th for the the 2020 releases. And uh, he's got a really nice website and you can check out the vitals from that uh, in the On the Bench episode as well. I want to say it's uh, goldensprueawards.com plural golden sprue awards give that a look and please participate i need to go i need to go over and make some nominations on i do too also brought to light in uh, on the bench episode 101 is uh, a new podcast out of uh, our united states here the plastic posse podcast scott gentry and a couple of his modeling buddies are uh, going to kick this off i had a nice phone conversation with him saturday morning late morning early afternoon and a couple of uh, Facebook Messenger conversations since then. Uh, you know, they're really interested in participating in our uh, mutual cross-promotion we've got going, which is, I think is a great idea since we all share yeah. the same audience pretty much. Exactly. Both these initiatives, both Plastic Posse Podcast and Warren's Golden Sprue Award were covered with interviews, actually, on, in On the Bench, their latest episode. So you, you can go have a listen there and get all the vitals for this, for these two initiatives. And we wish, wish both uh, Scott and Warren ample success or bountiful success for for these things. Absolutely. Look forward to, to the new podcast first episode. Me too. Countdown to Vegas, Dave. Yeah, I can't wait, man. I'm telling you, I'm getting, you know, my palms are already starting to itch. I, I tell you what, lo- losing Losing San Antonio hurt this year, so uh, I cannot wait to get to Vegas. Well, we're inside a year now. Uh, as of our recording date, we are 359 days away. Yay! They're telling us that the vendor tables are selling at a good clip, which that's always a good thing. Oh, yeah. Bob Provado tells us also that there's been a fair amount of foreign interest about folks expressing uh, interest from... Uh, offshore to come to this thing this year or this or next year i don't know how much of that outside the vendors who show up are actually from somewhere other than north north america or mexico maybe so what what did you hear i don't know if 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 you listen to the latest on the bench uh mr goldfinch was uh uh musing about how las vegas would be a, a really great trip to take i've been uh privately trying to encourage him to come uh 
you know, flights to Vegas from anywhere in the world are fairly cheap since they know they're going to get their money from you in other ways. You know, I can't think of anything better than uh, the Australians, the Canadians, and ourselves all all sitting around a bar uh, in Vegas late night uh, share, sharing uh, war stories and ideas and information. So uh, on the bench, uh, Scale Model Podcast, guys, plan on being in Vegas. First round's on me. Other than, uh, let's see, they're looking forward to advanced registration starting and I had that up and I don't have it in my show notes. Well, uh, I do need to go and register. I want to try and get registered early because sometimes I, I end up waiting to the last minute and that's a terrible idea. Well, f- well, hang on. Finally, yeah. advanced registration starts February 1st, 2021 right. and we'll close and we'll close July 30th, 2021. So February 1st is when you can start registering for the national event. I'll set a reminder on my uh, cell phone right now. So, uh, Mike, uh, have you been building? I mean, this whole thing is about mojo. How's your mojo doing? Uh, it's been pretty good. Uh, I've been uh, working on the Morris tractor. Now, I've got a little strategy here that if I start the weathering, you know, all the shading and et cetera on the, on the Morris tractor for my little Morris and Bofors com- combo and get it pretty far down the road and then start the Bofors after, that maybe I can end up with a little bit of a different finish on one versus the other. Get, get what gotcha. I'm saying? Yeah. You don't want them to look too too unified. So I've, I've done the shading and the satin finish on the Morris. I need to decal it. That's what's next before I get into the weathering. Uh, so before I can go much further, I got to get that done. And on the E16 Paul, I've got the, the seat belts installed on the front and rear cockpit positions and painted. And I'm just about ready to mate the fuselage halves and get this show on the road. That's fantastic. That's it for me. What have you been doing? Well, you now need to start playing on what you... Oh, wait a minute. I meant to ask you. You've got another model in process that we aren't hearing about. It's because I'm not working on it. Let me ask you, what's going on with the ZIS-2? That's fairly far along. It's looking really good. What did you drop it? Have, has it fallen off the bench? What happened? No, it's 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 intact. And in fact, I put it in the display case to keep the dust off of it because I, I'm gonna I've got to finish this this little Airfix nostalgia build before I touch that thing again. Uh, this okay. this three this three in the pipe is too many. I can't do gotcha. it. Gotcha. I'm <laughs> sympathetic. I'm a sympathetic to that. Uh, I really am because right now my. Uh, Little special hobby bibber has been on hold simply because I've been in a building or construction craze. I've been working on the Trumpeter M30 while watching the hockey playoffs. I've really been enjoying it, although the instructions on this kit are absolutely awful, both in in being exact on placement, but also the order they would have you do some things in makes no sense at all i would love to i would love to rewrite these instructions so that nobody else suffers through the the mistakes that uh, that i think trumpeter made on these the kit itself i'm having a hell of a fun time i really i'm really enjoying it uh, i have my local through Brian, the local hobby shop, I had him order some AK 
Generation Two paints the the set that you recommended the the Russian World War Two set, and those should be in sometime this week because uh, I tried a set of their uh, Generation One water based acrylics, and they're crap. So uh, I, I know that the. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to be honest. They are water based. Water based. Right. Water based acrylics. Nah, just not. No, just not going to do it. They don't work, or they, or at least they don't work for me. So, and uh, I've got the AS ones moving forward slowly. It's getting re-sanded for a final paint, Um, and it could be done in the next thirty days if I devoted myself to it, but. uh, oh, I also did actually cut a few parts on a uh, new kit, which uh, I'll tease out sometime in the next week or two and then reveal more information on. But uh, I needed something to work on when I went over to the shop on Saturday morning. So I grabbed something new. So I'll tell you about that when we get there. Okay. So uh, what have you been uh, eyeing on the? On the model front, what are your uh, what what's been announced that you're excited about, and what's been announced that you're not so excited about? Well, hopefully, hopefully you got a, a couple or more too, so we can go back and forth here. But my first one is from Border Models. They've just announced a Crusader Mark III. Yes, I saw that. Yeah, I think that one's going to be popular because the the Itulary kit's the only well, it's not the only game in town. There's an Airfix 32nd scale one as well, but you know that. Yeah. They're all 30 plus years old, if not 40, right? Yep. So this was this one's a home run for them. I'm interested in it because uh Uncle Night Shift is doing a his his latest build series is on to me is 48 scale version of this same tank. Well, I don't know if it's the same mark, but it's the you know, right. basically the same thing. Yeah, I think it's Crusader three. It's a good opportunity for a you know a, a kind of a tag along tutorial, self-guided tutorial build for his techniques if you want to do it in 35th scale yeah i agree so that's that i'm probably going to buy that kit i i yeah i like it i I, think it's cool i have no have no doubt you got one for your number one my number one is uh actually the when i asked you to guess what kit was my number one for wanting uh it was announced this past week everybody expected it but we were kind of all crossing our fingers and hoping uh, after releasing their really nice uh, her- Tin Wing Hurricane Mark One, followed by their uh, Hurricane Mark Two C. Arma has announced that they are going to release the uh, Hurricane Two B, and the reason I want this is that this was used prominently in the Netherlands East Indies Singapore Burma theater at the end of 1941, beginning of 1942. There hasn't been a great option for it before now. And given the quality of the other Arma Hurricanes, there's no doubt that this is going to be a home run. So this is the kit that I am most anxious to get a hold of and start building because there's it's in my wheel. It's one of those kits that's in my wheelhouse. So I, I could not be happier that when that announcement came out this past week, I was uh, I was texting everybody who I also knew would be interested in it. So 
that was good news. So what's another one for you? Oh, well, hell, Arma's got more hurricanes than the Gulf of Mexico right now. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and you like those orange triangles, don't you? I do. Those are those are one of my areas of interest is the Netherlands East Indies ones. And the British handed the Dutch some of their two Bs. My my next one is uh, probably not what I'm going to buy, but I think it's it's a solid it's a solid release. Suyata has re- announced a Panther Alps A with interior in 148 scale. Yeah, I saw that. Now, after panning them last time, I, I, in my opinion, they finally found their rudder. I think this is a solid release that's going to prove popular. Now, I'll be honest, 48 scale armor has not caught my attention very much. And to be honest, I, I think we're past high tide on it. At least I thought we were. Uh, it seemed like it it kind of spiked about three, four years ago, and there hasn't been mm-hmm. all that much since since then. Uh, most of it's being driven by Tamiya. Yeah, and they seem to have slowed down on it. Th- yeah, but uh, there's probably a Bandai 48-scale Panther with an interior that's 40 years old out there. But uh, I, th- I think this one this one's going to be popular. Probably not nothing I'm going to buy, but I think they I think they they're going to hit a uh, a minor home run with this one. I agree. I think that will be very popular. It might be enough to kind of restart the forty eight scale armor. Uh, I don't want to say craze, but but forty eight scale interest in forty eight scale armor. You got another one? Yes, I do. Uh, my next one is I mentioned this previously, but we finally got a picture or a CAD drawing or whatever, Zvesta had announced a C-130. We desperately needed a C-130 because the C-130s out there from Italeri and Airfix were 40 years old, uh, 35, 40 years old. And there was no modern C-130 out there in 72nd scale. So Zvezda had just announced a C-130, and we didn't know exactly what they were going to release. And we got the CAD drawings, and we know they are releasing a modern C-130, not the E, but the H. And so that will fill a gap that uh, exists right now where the only way you can get one of those is to buy one of the old Italeri kits and then a whole bunch of resin uh, aftermarket to convert to a more modern C-130. So I really had an interest in this because obviously a lot of Air National Guard units, including our own, uh, use these. It's going to be, since I've got an interest in Air National Guard aircraft, uh, this is definitely going to be one that I'll be picking up when it comes out. So you got another I've got a yawn. Okay, give me your yawn. Unfortunately, it's Hobby Boss again. Man, they're <laughs> it's like it's like it's like, a, it's like a game of table tennis with them. <laughs> they're going to send a hitman. They might. You know, they they inherited all of TriStar's tooling. Right. And from the vehicle standpoint, that was probably a good thing, but now they've re-released uh, a few of TriStar's figure sets. Yeah. And they shouldn't have wasted their time. Talk about recycling sprues. <laughs> I take it they weren't that good. Nah, the poses are all wooden compared to, you know, like Master Box or Mini Art. And there's yeah. just much better figure options out there. I mean, they're just TriStar's figure sets were just not that good, in my opinion. You got a yawn? Well, I do. And 
this is not exactly a yawn in that I'm sure this this company is doing something that somewhere somebody's going to want and all, but it just a company called Offset Scale Models is doing 3D printed goats and sheep. You know, I'm, I'm sure there's a use for them out there somewhere. What what scale? Seventy second scale goats and sheep. That's like a model railroad thing. Yes, I, maybe it is. Maybe that's what it's going to be used for. I don't know. I don't know either. It just seemed a little odd to me. So that was a yawn for me. Well, there you have it. Tonight, our special segment is something new for us. We actually have our first interview, and I think everybody will enjoy it. So let's get on to our special guest. Our guest tonight is Mr. Chris Wallace, and Chris comes to us from Ottawa, Canada, and like most of us, Chris got into the model building hobby as a child, but uh, jumped back into it in his 30s as a creative outlet. And like a lot of us, as a way to unwind and decompress from the daily grind. Chris primarily enjoys Pacific Theater aircraft in 148 scale, but occasionally builds in other scales. You know, I probably skipped over it, but I should welcome you to the show. Thank you for joining us at Plastic Model Mojo. Very, very happy to be here. I've listened to a number of your shows and I really enjoy what you guys are putting together here. Our primary reason for reaching out to you, Chris, is that you publish a very interesting blog titled Model Airplane Maker. And while we intend to discuss a few of your recent posts, uh, before we get into that and tackle the blog post, let's get a bit a bit more about you so we can kind of kind of understand you a little more and let everybody else get to know you a little bit. Uh, the, the first thing I'd like to ask is uh, you've told us your primary scale is 148th scale. What, what are your diversions? From 148th? Um, well, I can, I can tell you that I dabble a little bit in 32nd. I do uh, some very little 72nd, although uh, David would be happy to know that I'm getting more and more interested now that I've realized that some of these kits are much nicer than uh, when I first started models uh, years and years ago when those 72nd scale kits were all I could uh, <laughs> all I could afford um, but now I open these boxes and I say wow this is actually very impressive so that's a couple of my diversions in terms of aircraft and uh, you know I'll do the occasional uh, piece of armor but I'm terrible at it and uh, I'll even try my hand at a, at a ship every now and then but again uh, very very novice stuff compared to my yeah. uh, my comfort zone all right. Well, that was kind of my next question is, were they diversions of scale or subject or both? So it kind of is both. What steers you to World War II Pacific theater subjects primarily? You know, I'm, I'm one of those guys that left the hobby in pursuit of video games way back in the day. And my favorite things to do were um, simulations like uh, like Pacific Air War. That was my absolute favorite one. So I was one of those rare ones that got into video games and basically got back into the hobby because of it. I absolutely loved uh, that whole theater. It was something that was not too familiar with me as a kid because it really wasn't the focus of uh, what was at the local hobby store or anything, even in, in museums around here. But once I started learning about Pacific War and all of the, the Japanese planes that were there, the American ones, uh, even some of the um, uh, UK and everything else, it's just been, that, that's just been fascinating to me. I really, really enjoy it. This is David. Uh, do you 
mostly concentrate on the Allied side, or do you do? Because uh, one of my areas of interest is actually World War II Japanese. So do you do you cross back and forth between Allied and and Japanese? Well, I'll level with you, David. It's been when I first got back into the hobby, it was Corsair after Corsair after Corsair, and then I discovered that there were all these Japanese planes that made for some great models by Hasegawa and to me and all this sort of thing. And I really focused on those. So I would say I would have as many Japanese models as I do Corsairs. Good man. Good man. Uh, the Japanese <laughs> stuff, the camo is, in, is endlessly interesting to me. Uh, there's just, there's so many different camouflage schemes you can do. Plus, the models are fantastic. Even the ones that, you know, the two sprue wonders that you would uh, recall from the mid 90s onwards from uh, Hasegawa and Tamiya, they just really click together. They just make for some excellent kits. Um, and that's what really attracted me to, uh, to those in the first place was very easy to put together. And, and like you said, excellent ways to paint them and, and camo them and do all sorts of creative things. Getting back to the the blog a little bit, what what was your reasons uh, for starting uh, Model Airplane Maker? When I got back into the hobby, it was about the late two thousands, and if you recall, back in those days on the internet, it was all about those model forums. So, uh, Aircraft Resource Center, uh, Hyperscale, Brit Modeler, that sort of thing. That's where I I actually was going to those forums before I even bought my first model coming back because I wanted to find out how to do things. And it was just a wonderful resource um, to get back into it. And I don't know if if it's been just my experience, but since that time, the, the forums have really, they're just not quite the same as they used to be. And it's not a criticism for any particular forum. It just seems that the focus is just not so much there as it once was. And I liked participating, but I noticed that even getting comments back or feedback, whatever it was, even asking a question, it, back in the day, you'd get 20 responses within an hour, you know, less now. So I really wanted to put something together. I really wanted to have that creative outlet. And I learned a lot and I thought, hey, what, might as well share it. To tell you the truth, I absolutely love building models and making them and uh, going to shows, taking pictures. It's just been a, a, a wonderful hobby and I just wanted to share some of it and I'm really enthusiastic about it. So the the blog has been kind of my, my way of giving back. Um, it's not really uh, anything more than me sharing what I've done and uh, showing people what I what I can do. It's not necessarily about advanced techniques versus, you know, basic ones. It's just, uh, it's just showing people what I like to do. And hopefully if someone comes away from that, uh, from that, from reading my blog or some of my thoughts about the hobby and they, and they come away with, with something, uh, that they didn't know before. Hey, that's, that's all the better. It's kind of flattering to have people mention to me that they've read something or, uh, share it online, and uh, you know, I find it very flattering too. So, it's been it's been a lot of fun. I actually have a theory about the forums because I think you're you're right. They aren't what they were, but I, I've actually 
observed and developed a theory that what happened was there used to be just, you know, hyperscale Brit modeler uh, uh, missing links for the armor guys, you know, just three or four forums. And so everybody participated there. And then what seems to have happened, at least in my impression, is everybody, because there was so much volume on so few blog or so few forums, it was really hard to wade through. I mean, in the old days, you went to hyperscale and there were just there were more entries every day than you could possibly read. And a lot of them weren't in your interest area. So now forums have subdivided into, you know, World War I, 72nd scale aircraft, uh, Russian armor, uh, that, that there's been a dividing out and a whole bunch of little forums started and people whose primary interest was in those areas went to those forums and then... That left the, you know, Brit modelers and hyperscale and all getting a lot less, a lot less participation than they did previously. So you'd almost say it's a, it could be a dilution uh, of what's, what's available uh, compared to the concentration before. I didn't think of that. I always thought it was something to do with uh, more social, like more posting on social media, the, the, it's the ease of, of putting the photos on that type of thing. But I think that has some effect. I do think that social media and Facebook also have had some effect. Uh, uh, my problem with Facebook is that, uh, or Twitter or whatever social media platform, the forums provide you something that they don't, which is the threaded discussion where mm-hmm. it's easy to locate uh, a particular uh, thread that you're interested in. But yeah, no, I think it's specialization. Suddenly came in a- after forums developed and there were just these general forums where there was everything. Now there's super specialization. And if you happen to be in to the British Pacific Fleet 4445, there's probably a forum out there for yeah. just that. I'd have to find that one. <laughs> 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 I, thought, I thought you might. Well, al- along the line of the the creation of the blog, you've you've also recently made your first foray into YouTube video, YouTube channel. What's your what's your plan there, and what what uh, what was the genesis for that? I am home a lot these days, as we all tend to be, um, and I wanted to have a bit a bit more of a uh, a try at uh, the video thing. So I I decided to give it a shot. And, you know, to tell you the truth, Mike, I don't know exactly where it's going to go. I think what I'm, what I'd like to do is just show some techniques, uh, easy techniques to improve your basic kit building. So instead of just snipping parts, basic glue, uh, sorry, basic paint, um, I'll, I'll do it up in a way that it's, uh, hey, did you know you could do this if you drill out some holes, for example, and here's how to do it, and here's the tools that you can get. So it'd be, you know, it'd be something a little bit more than basic, but certainly not because you, you go on these uh, these YouTube channels, and my God, you can you, you see people uh, doing amazing things uh, with weathering and I would call hyper advanced techniques almost. I I'm certainly wouldn't be uh, interested in in going in that area, but 
certainly more along the lines of, well, for example, I have a, um, an article on my blog about modeling radial engines. And there I show how I do it with some, uh, some very, uh, uh, very fine drills, uh, lead line, that type of thing. I'm thinking of doing stuff like that. So it'd be sort of a video version of that type of article that I put on my blog. Chris, you mentioned your home a lot. Uh, I assume that's because of the pandemic. But when we talked the other night before we, you know, we were preparing for this discussion, you mentioned you're a lawyer, uh, which I found interesting. I'm a lawyer, too. In the U.S., it seems like to me, I've encountered a lot of lawyers in the hobby. We, we seem to be overrepresented in the hobby uh, in the U.S., and I wondered if the if if you've noticed whether that's true or not in Canada. Well, certainly not with my, what I'll call my inner circle of model friends. I'm the, uh, the only one who admits that they're a lawyer, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> but certainly a lot of professionals, definitely. Uh, all across the board, engineers. I've met a, uh, some finance people. I, I think they're accountants and that type of thing. So, yeah, I mean... I, I don't know any others, but it wouldn't surprise me. It's a it's a great outlet at the end of the day, especially a stressful one to sort of. And the thing, the great thing about it is, you could take a half hour, you could take an hour or two, and really unwind, get yourself into that that great zone where you're just concentrating on, say, rigging a model, for example, and then you just feel a little bit refreshed at the end. So I've I've found it to be incredibly helpful uh, for that. And I do think that that for for lawyers and other professionals, and we're uh, our club's the same way. We've got a cross a big cross section, but a fair number of doctors, lawyers, engineers, accountants, mid and upper level professionals. And I think that that probably is one of the things that attracts all of those professionals to the hobby is that you can't. It is so de-stressing. For you, you know, you come in, you sit down at the bench, and the brief you've got to file, or the client that's a problem, or whatever, you can just forget all that and concentrate on sticking the parts together, or you know, uh, painting or wet sanding or weathering. I do think it is a hobby that attracts people in in a lot of different professions, but I've just noticed there are a fair number of lawyers in. And, and I think, uh, David, another great thing is, like I said, it, it's, it's, it doesn't have to take all day. It's not going to the golf course where you're spent. And I'm not, don't believe, don't think that I am disparaging people who do this, but it's, it's not necessarily in the cards for me to take four to six hours to go golfing, for example, on a Thursday, uh, where Agreed. I can yeah, rush absolutely. home, I can put someone to bed, I can go downstairs, do a couple hours and then, and then I'm good. You know, or uh, if I'm super lucky, I could go to a show uh, for back when we went to shows. Um, I could go to a show for a half day or something like that. So y- y- you get that nice flexibility in terms of uh, what we're doing. You mentioned that. Uh, well, we've we've talked about just briefly your blog and your U- YouTube. What other blogs and what other YouTube channels do you find yourself uh, taking inspiration from? Blogs. What what I think inspired me right off was a was a great blog he still does it he doesn't do it as regularly as he has been but his blog's name is 
scale model soup. And he was an occasional contributor as well to, uh, to ARC. And I think he is a big IPMS USA guy as well, but I, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember his, his name, but his, uh, his blog is fairly easy to find out there. Uh, in terms of YouTubers, uh, Andy's hobby headquarters. When I first discovered that I was just in awe that at a, the, how prolific he is. Um, but also just the, the way that he sells the hobby. I mean, he's not trying to push you into being the Uber modeler that you can be, but at the same time, he's showing you some advanced techniques and he's taking, he's demystifying it really. And I think that's one of the great benefits of YouTube is if you're like me, you could be somewhat, um, stressed about trying something new and ruining a kit. You know what I mean? And so if you see it and you, you see how someone else is applying this stuff or how they're going through and using a piece of equipment, it's like, Oh, okay. That's uh, that's how that works. I'm going to give that a try myself. It's, it's sort of, um, it makes it less intimidating. I think, uh, another, another great YouTuber, a friend of mine, his name is Evan and he is Panzer Meister 36. I yes, his name on uh, on YouTube, and oh, geez, I mean, um, one of one of my heroes, if you will, if uh, if you could say that in terms of what we do, uh, Paul Budzik. That that guy is just absolutely outworld, other world, incredible. What he can do, and how he shares, and how he explains, and how he shows you techniques. Man, that guy is uh, that guy is something else. Well, we're trying to get Evan on the show at some oh, yeah? point. Yeah. So apparently, you have to pack a lot into uh, the short Canadian summer. So he's been a little bit busy doing uh, other stuff, but uh, we'll get him eventually. We we hope. <laughs> speaking of speaking of that, uh, packing it in, packing a lot into a short Canadian summer. Uh, I've I've noticed there are a lot of really good and not to not to blow sunshine up anybody's skirt, but there are a lot of really good Canadian modelers, and I've wondered if the long cold winters had anything to do with uh, you know uh, it encouraging people to be sitting in their basement modeling. But it does seem like there's a a a, a real uh, presence or large group of modelers in Canada who are uh, are really producing some high quality content, both in blogs and in uh, YouTube channels. I I can only agree with you in terms of uh, just in the small circle of, of my of my town here. There are some incredible uh, builders. Whether or not it's related to a, a short summer, long winter, or how dark it can get, I don't really know. We are blessed in this town. We have uh, two very good, uh, well-stocked local hobby shops, and we have even some what I would call slightly smaller ones. I, you know, we've got like half a dozen stores that you could go into and shop around for model kits and i think that might have something to do with it that you can still do that i a few of my american friends they say they have to drive for a day to get to a hobby store so it, it could be something like that as well um that's a good question maybe it's something i can uh, look at uh, doing some research for in a future blog article or something like that the the, the rise of the canadian modeler or something like that there you go <laughs> <laughs> 
getting back to model airplane maker, uh, much of your content is what I would consider scale model or commentary as opposed to uh, more the hands-on modeling type stuff. And I'm referring to your, your, your blog posts, you know, not your, not your shares of your bills or, or that sort of thing. But I, I found it to be quite interesting. And generally speaking, because many of the lines of thought you explore are ones I've also explored in my head. And they're really, they're really not limited to any particular genre. In particular, I found two of your more recent posts really, really interesting. They really resonated with me because I'd also give them a lot of thought. And we've kind of danced around a couple of those before in our discussions on the podcast. And they really related to my own modeling journey. You've you've really connected with what I would consider myself to be a hardcore 35th skill armor guy. And here I am getting, uh, you know, head tilt, kind of pondering, pondering thoughts about what what you've written in your blog. And and the first of those that I'd like to kind of talk about a little bit with you is, are we builders or finishers? And you you were you were clear about your observations leading to that blog. And you know, we mentioned it on on our Facebook page. And I hope I didn't hijack your topic when I suggested we kind of fall into two camps. Uh, I simply meant that most of us fall one side or the other of the middle, if we had to pick one over, over the other for, for your own self, do you get more enjoyment out of construction or painting one, one more so than the other, or are you kind of all over the place? Well, I can safely tell you what I absolutely do not like is decaling, but that is that we'll, we'll get into that. Later. <laughs> um, I would be, if, if, if the spectrum were, were, were arranged that way, I tell you, I love opening up a model, snipping it, putting the glue on it, getting that thing together. I absolutely love it. But that's because that's how I started, right? That's how we had. To, right. You know, it, and it wasn't easy. Uh, and I explored that a little bit when I, when I wrote it was that some of these models that we were building were awful just awful and <laughs> agonizing but we learned how to overcome them and become better builders because of it and and even to this day even if i pick out a hundred dollar uber kit where the thing just melts together i really still get a lot of pleasure out of putting the pieces together getting it getting it done and primed painting it uh, i i really love to um don't get me wrong but i wouldn't want to be buying say a completed model that's you know you open the box here's your completed model all you have to do is paint but you know i've spoken to a lot of people after i wrote that and there are there definitely are modelers that would say hey if i could buy a fully completed model and all i had to do is just open it up and paint it that's what i would really love to do so it's it's not my thing i I don't think i would do that but certainly i i Hey, maybe it opens up an opportunity for someone out there to to um, make more what I would call, I guess, shells of models, and, and people can just paint them and weather them and go go to town on them. So, to answer your question, though, uh, definitely I'm on the builder side, but uh, as you as you'll see in some of my things, I, I do go into some detail about how I paint them as well. Chris, one thing that your your blog post uh, raised it or completed a thought that I'd been having. And I think your blog post probably is uh, explanatory of the phenomenon that, that I had noticed. Uh, you're absolutely right. The the old kits that we used to build, the old Frog, the old Airfix, MPC. <laughs> I mean, there are some dogs, dog kits. I mean, just absolutely dog kits. And 
took a lot longer to get good at modeling because there was more you had to do in mm. the old days to make everything fit. What I've noticed with guys in our, who are coming into our club in the last five or seven years, their ability to go from first kit or first kit back into the hobby to a really nice model is a whole lot shorter than it was 30 years ago. Doesn't that make you jealous? Yeah, well, <laughs> a little amazed, jealous, and all of those things. But I do think it is. it has to do with one of the things you put your finger on in that blog post is the kits are engineered so much better mm-hmm. that you don't run into the challenges that we, we all used to run into with an old frog or an old airfix kit where, you know, things just didn't fit. Or they weren't there at all. Or they weren't there at all. And you had, yeah, uh, like Alan, Alan Hall and the old scale aircraft modeling with balsa and talc and, uh, you know, replacing (laughs) or modifying parts with uh, balsa and and talc and and filler. Um, But I do think that's why, that you're seeing guys come into modeling today and getting really good really quick. Well, along with the all of the YouTube that, as you pointed out, is out there so that you can sit in front of your computer. It used to be in the old days, you picked up your modeling tips from the guys in the club, and then you went home and tried them. You know, you, you might go to a club meeting where there was a presentation. But now... You can sit in front of your computer and you can find a pr- at least one YouTube on nearly any technique out there that you want to try. And, you know, I, I've said any number of times we're living in the golden age of modeling. And I think that's so true on so many levels, but particularly in regard to the fact that the kits are so well engineered. And I've even had a couple of people comment. I don't. I can't remember if it was a Facebook or, or there was an entry over at Hyperscale, but one of them was, and I found it so interesting. He said, "I don't want to spend hours and hours slogging through a kit like you guys did. I don't want to do it. I want to pick up a kit. I want to build it, enjoy it, and and have it together so that I can really get to what I want, which is either the painting or the weathering or the." Or, God forbid the decaling, but whatever, <laughs> whatever it was, that's what he really wanted to do. And it, it even came up with, uh, with my nephew the other day. Now he used to be a 35th scale tank guy, just like you, Mike. And, um, he, you know, he's, he's been out of the hobby for a couple of years pursuing other things, but he's coming back because he's spending a lot of time, uh, at home. And all he wants to do now is paint figures. He does. He, he just gets no benefit, no enjoyment at all out of putting a model together, but he loves painting and he loves detailing and he loves the washes and he loves highlighting. He loves all that stuff. So, Hey, more power to him. He's, uh, he's really enjoying that aspect of the hobby. Well, you mentioned in that, in that particular blog post, the, the kind of con- construction centric December ninth or 1989 issue of fine scale modeler. And we had a short email discussion about that. In fact, I think I correctly guessed that the builder of the B 17 in that article was in fact, Paul Budzik. It was because I remember that very vividly. And I learned a lot from that article. And, and personally I'm a builder too. 
Um, I'm the guy who would slog through a hard kit and then send it to Mike Rinaldi to paint for me. That, that you know, that would be the way I would do it, right? But personally, I kind of miss the F, the fine scale modeler of the of the Paul Boyer era for whatever that's worth. It's, it's the hobby's changed so much, and a key takeaway from from your blog was that uh, the fit and finish and engineering of contemporary kits is so much better. So it's it's kind of I'll ask, but generally, do you think most modelers' time is better spent building more recent kits or I guess being a builder, you might kind of, I'll let you, well, I'll let you answer that. I asked you, right? <laughs> Either the, the more recent kits or as I, I talked to my model buddy, Ian, I, I call it slaying a dragon, you know, grabbing that, that 40, 50 year old kit and just wrestling it. Um, I'm one to give that a try on occasion. Uh, and I certainly, you know, I've been slogging through one, uh, even a, a fairly recent one, uh, um, an HK B17, which guys, that is a tough one to, uh, <laughs> that's a tough one to slog through. That is not an easy kit. It's a big one too. Do you have a garage that you're going to put that in when you're done with it? I'm going to wall mount it. If I can ever get it done, it's going to be the, the only one like that, but I'll, I'll put it on the wall and, and mount it that way. But I tell you, that one is a, it's a slog because it is, uh, all the panel lines are misaligned. All the rivet lines are misaligned. And if you're, you know, you want to complete something to make it look half decent, that's a lot of work to get through. And I get it. I, I don't really like to do that type of tedious work for hours and hours because only I'm going to notice it at the end of the day, <laughs> um, getting through that type of thing. I don't know. Um, I don't know if it's, if, if the question is, you know, where are we going? That sort of thing. Hey, I think that this hobby is big enough for, finding enjoyment out of all of it. I get a lot out of watching this YouTube finisher, what I'll call a finisher video, even though I'm not a big weatherer myself because it's still, ah, I don't know. I'm still not quite used to it, especially on aircraft, but Hey, I, I get a lot out of it. And so I think just as importantly, um, if there are newer modelers out there who, who are doing the, um, the super modern kits where they're, uh, they're, they're putting together fairly quickly and, and having excellent results, you know, eventually they're going to find that they can't get a certain model, but they really want to build it and they are going to have to go and find a dragon and, and slay it. And hey, um, I guess the piece that's missing maybe is that there aren't as many of those build articles, for example, to, to help them do that. I'll tell you what, uh, I came to the realization about four or five years ago that you know, with a thousand kits in the stash, and uh, <laughs> while the grim the grim reaper isn't exactly looking over my shoulder, I'm getting older, and I can do math, and I know that I'm unlikely to complete everything I've got, much less buy any new stuff I buy. I've I've figured out that life is too short to build crappy kits. Now, you're right, there's always the magnum opus out there that somebody wants to do, and there's only one kit available, and it's, you know, 40 years old. But other than that, if there's one thing that I want to build that's not yet in a new kit, I've got 20 others I can build, and by the time I'm done with those, somebody's going to come out with this new kit, especially in 72nd scale, we're seeing stuff announced. We're seeing stuff announced every day. It's some pretty amazing stuff at that. So life is too short to build crappy kits has become my new motto. It's a good motto. Oh, I had a thought and lost it. Oh, what was it? It might have been something along the lines of um, one of the things that I went into in that article was 
we might have a group of people that don't agree with some of the rules that IPMS shows, for example, where there's a real emphasis on building or there's a perceived emphasis on the build versus the unimportance, if you will, of the finish. And, and I, I pointed out a couple of things, my thoughts about that, which I, I don't, I don't agree with. I don't think that's true, especially if you read the rules and have well-trained judges, but at the same time, you know, an IPMS show uh, in an IPMS contest, if you were to enter one, this is about building a model. It's not necessarily about how great of a finish you can achieve on a model that really doesn't have the basics down. You know what I mean? Like it, it's not square. It's not level. It's not um, the, the build quality just isn't there, even though the finish quality might be. Well, I'm grounded again. I know what I was going to ask or, or, okay. or say, but that's a good comment too. The one thing being, being a builder and, and, and Dave, Dave can attest that I've, I've, I've slayed a few dragons in my day. And I, and I still like, I, I still like doing that. And one of the takeaways and, and one of the angles of enjoyment I get it out of that is, is that once you're finished, you have such an intimate knowledge of the subject that would probably bore the crap out of most people. But um, I, I just found that part rewarding. And, and, I, and I wonder if, if the quick build and then, and then spend all the time painting and finishing, you, you know, with a really, really nice model, I, I can't take anything away from that, but, but I wonder to what depth of understanding of the subject matter uh, that the, the builder actually has at that point. And I could be completely wrong. I, I don't, I don't, well, I don't know. I don't know what they, what they have at that point. Oh. They've started, they've started from a really, a really advanced place by, by selecting a, a modern kit. And, and I wonder if, if it's, if it's about the, if it's about the, the aesthetics of it at the end, or if, the, if, uh, or if it's, if they still have that, that bond back to the, to the, to the subject matter that made them choose it in the first place. Ah, it's a really good question. You, uh, you're, you're raising a lot of good stuff there. I, I do think that that might vary even by subject area. I do think that aircraft modelers, we tend to like paint schemes and markings. And so for, for many of us, many times, the model is just a, a clothes horse for the painting, the weathering, and the markings. Whereas with armor guys... I do think that maybe there's a little more emphasis on the mechanics of it, uh, kind of similar to what auto modelers do. You know, they're interested in the mechanics of the actual prototype item. So I wonder if the, it has to do at least somewhat with genre. And I think there's there's, there's also a thought as well. Like I have a I have a, a belief that every model has so many to say it nicely, there's only so many cares you can give to it uh, during a build. And if you're, if you're, if you're really devoted to it, like this is, oh man, I really love the Corsair and I really wanted to build a 30 second scale Corsair, for example, I'm going to have a lot more cares to give about that. And if I run into a problem, if I mess up a paint job, if I, uh, if one of my uh, decals gets all wrinkly on me, something like that, I'll fix it. You know, but if it's something that I don't really care about, and uh, and I run into a slight problem with it, especially near the end, I might just say, "Ah, that's it, it's gone." And so I think that with every completed model that we see, it had just the right amount of cares that was given to it. 
<laughs> and uh, and with other models, mm, the ones that end up on your shelf, they just ran out too early. And if uh, you have that that passion for it, you you build it, you really wanted to see it through, you're going to see it through. You know what I mean? My Canadians are so polite. I think we all know the word that he was thinking of instead of care. It's a family <laughs> show. It's a family show. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, I don't want to check that uh, explicit box on the upload. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kind of limits you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, the, the the next blog post I'd like to discuss a little bit, it was the one that followed up after that. And they're, they're kind of tied together in, in the way I see the hobby is that the next level builds. In my opinion, this blog post meshed really nicely with the one before it. And I wonder if the advancement of kit quality and the explosion of subject availability has lessened the need uh, for the modeling community at large to p- pursue these type builds. I think we've talked about that a little bit already. What moved you to write the next level build post or one further to pursue such a build as a hobby direction for yourself, as you alluded to in that blog post? Well, I I have to to say there's a few things. And one of them is I think that I'm at a point now and, and, and I think all three of us are at a point where we can competently open a box, put it together. And if we, if we really care about it, we're going to finish it. We're going to put it on display or even, sh- even have the, the confidence to show others what we've done. And what I was thinking about when I was writing that was I want to try something outside of that, which is either scratch building or vacuum forming or any of these things that, you know, modelers back in the day, that's, that's all they could do. Because as David said, you wait around a week and that one variant of that one airplane that's never been done before, it's going to get done. You know, way back in the day, if you wanted to have a specific something, either you waited 20 years or you had to go and do it yourself. Um, I don't think that that is ever going to be a problem, at least in the foreseeable future. They're bringing out variants of airplanes and tanks that were built during two or three months uh, at, uh, at a specific factory now. I mean, this is the level that we're getting to, which is great. Don't, don't get me wrong. But in that next level build thing, I was really th- starting to think, you know, I wanted to, to, to make something or, or try new techniques um, to build something completely different than just putting a, putting a kit together from a box and painting it. Have you thought any more about how to define what that really means? You kind of left that out there, um, at least what it means to you for that next level build. Well, uh, you that, just explained it a little bit, but... Uh, it's, it's a, it was a difficult one to sort of nail down because I, I haven't done it, right? So... I, I think with all these things, you got to start with baby steps. So I might start doing some conversion work where I would, you know, start carving some balsa and try doing some vacuum forming, that type of thing, or really tackle uh, maybe cutting a model apart and doing all the guts inside of it and something, something crazy like that. That would be a very involved project, but involve a lot of scratch building and using different types of wire and piping and all that kind of stuff. So Sorry, I, I don't really have like a specific thing. It was a, a very sort of um, putting some thoughts together what that what that was looking like when I wrote that thing. But I definitely don't have a specific. This is what a next level build is. Of course, if you go over to Paul Budzik's uh, page or his YouTube, that that's definitely next <laughs> next level stuff right there. 
Well, uh, you mentioned him in in the blog post, and and, there, and along with a few others, I think I know the answer to this. But do you gather inspiration from from those guys from, from the other modelers you mentioned? Absolutely, yeah. They uh, not only not only with their skill, but with their their willingness to share and a willingness to th- throw some tips around for us uh, lesser modelers to to pick up and try on our own. And at the end of that that blog post, you kind of threw four candidates out there for what you might consider for your own next level build. Are you leaning one way or the other with any of those and, and why? Well, I was thinking that I would uh, try the first thing was going to be to cut open a model and do all the inside. And the reason why is that it's not too, too far away from doing the, the box build. And Again, there is a lot of a lot of uh, information that uh, there's a lot of information on the the web about what you know, what are they called uh, tearaway or cutaway models or cutaway airplanes should look like on the inside. So I think it's not too much of a stretch for me to start off that way. So I've got a couple candidates in mind that I can think I can tear open some panels and get some wiring and some piping in that type of thing. Do you have a particular aircraft in mind? I'm thinking of maybe a saber. Starting it off that way. Uh, good choice. But don't quote me and don't hold me to it. <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> you posted in your in your on your blog, you posted uh the question about 70 second scale and whether whether it was not necessarily dead, but whether it was still relevant. And Uh-oh. I find that this an interesting question historically, because I've been building 70 second scale aircraft since I was 13. So long time. And this same idea comes up every five to 10 years. Oh. I, it's, it, it recurs where the, the question becomes, is 72nd scale still relevant or has it been passed by? My answer, of course, is always no, because I'm a believer in the one true scale, but uh, also particularly no now with all of the 72nd scale kits coming out. I mean, almost once a day. But the only time that I thought in all of that time period where it was it was a question where the answer might be yes was the period of the late 80s to the early 90s when more and more 48 scale kits were being released where there were a couple companies, Accurate Miniatures and Classic Airframes, that started and only issued 48 scale aircraft kits. Mm-hmm. There was a, there was a period in there, three or four years, where I thought, yeah, it, everything seems to be moving away from 70 second scale. Now it turned out not to be the case, and and it was just a a, a, a growth of 48 scale that didn't really truly hurt 70 second scale long term. The thing that surprised me was the development and expansion of 32nd scale and the fact that there are tons of 32nd scale kits out there and there are tons being built. And given their size, that surprises the heck out of me. So what are your general thoughts? I know you you prefer to build in mostly 48, but what are your general thoughts regarding all of the three major aircraft scales. I think it, it it's even down to a, a regional thing. And I say that because at some local shows that I've been to, and I've been going to them both 
to compete and, and to buy up everything that I can. I've been going to them for, uh, I'd say about 10 years now. And I always do the, 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 the tour of the showroom. And I definitely notice uh, a, a quantity difference in the 72nd scale finished kits from 10 years ago to today. Also, one of my good friends, he runs uh, the local hobby store known as the Hobby Center here in Ottawa. He buys a lot of estates. He buys a lot of, uh, you know, uh, collections, estates. And even there are some modelers that just, my stash is too big. I have to make room. I've been given orders by the wife. It needs to go. And they, they drop off as much of this unbuildable or unwanted stuff as they can. And he finds that if he buys a 72nd scale stuff, it just stays. It, it doesn't move. It stays on his walls. It, he has difficulty getting rid of it. So that's sort of the, the, the idea behind that, that question that I asked is, you know, do people still build this? But I was, I, I got schooled by a number of people that in other parts of North America, say definitely Europe, Asia, wherever, 72nd is huge. It's massive, which feeds into this uh, this thing that David was saying, which was a lot of new product is coming out for 72nd scale. It's definitely not dead. It is still relevant. It just might not be relevant where I live, you know, or it might not be relevant right now where I live because there's just less and less interest in it. And yeah, definitely the shiny new thing, or at least maybe the last few years, the shiny new thing is is 32nd scale. That's, that has its pluses and minuses too. Size and time. My gosh, these things take forever to build. The bigger you go, the more pieces you do, uh, the more involved the build. It just takes a ton of time to get one of these off. So if you, if you were finishing five or six 72nd scale builds a year, for example, how many 30 seconds are you doing? You're not doing that many. And there, and that pile's not getting any smaller if you keep buying them, if you know what I mean. So I remember reading an old uh Scalar Craft modeling back when Alan Hall um was was still in charge. And he noted the regional difference like you did. And his theory was that 72nd scale was popular in Europe because a lot of European homes didn't have a dedicated model room or they didn't have basements where you could have a model room. And thus a lot of modelers modeled at their kitchen tables and smaller models made sense. Whereas in America and to some extent Canada, you have homes that are much larger, much more likely to have a basement or a dedicated model room and therefore 48 scale was more popular in those areas. And uh, I think there's probably something to that. I, I, I think you're right. There, there's definitely a, um, the availability of room. And the, the other thing I will say, and I got into it in that, in that piece was I was brought up by absolutely terrible 72nd scale kits way back in the day. And when I came back to the hobby years later, the last thing, and the last thing I wanted to do was go back and do those, and I was blown away at the detail and the fidelity to the to the prototype that was available in forty eight scale, even uh, even with uh, let's say a Tamiya Corsair in forty eight yeah. scale. You know, it was night and day different, different. So now. 
that is to say, there are some recent 72nd scale kits that are mind-blowing compared to what I remember. And so I've softened my view a little bit, <laughs> and I've certainly picked a few up because I've, I've been uh, quite impressed with them. Um, and, I'm, and I'm definitely going to build them. Well, if you're voting with your wallet, then uh, that says it all. Well, Chris, in, in closing, I'd, I'd like to thank you for joining us tonight. And it's been a pleasure talking to you. I wish you success, continued success with the blog. And I'll certainly keep reading because I, I think it's a lot of good food for thought on there. And, and uh, I really enjoy your blog, even though I'm, I'm an armor guy. Dave's trying to make me an air, airplane guy and I'm, I'm getting there. But uh, okay, sure. there's room for one more, Mike. Room for one yeah. more. I'm, I'm sure there is. And, and I wish you success with the YouTube channel, however, however you define that. I, I think you need to tell our listeners uh, where they can find all your content. Well, you can find it very easily at www.modelairplanemaker.com. That's where that's the the main page. I don't exactly know how to get to how to give you an address for the YouTube uh, channel, but just look up Model Airplane Maker on YouTube, and I'm sure you'll find it that way. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing more of your YouTube videos. I enjoyed your initial one, and I'm I'm looking forward oh, to seeing where you go from there on that because I've kind of got an interest in that myself. Good luck. And I just want to tell you too that I really enjoy listening to your podcast. I think that uh, your your the, the way you guys are approaching the hobby and approaching how do I want to say it? Approaching the hobby in terms of it's an inclusive thing and it's all about fun and uh, getting a, a good build together and enjoying uh, join the camaraderie. I have to say it's a, it's, it's a pleasure to listen to you both. Thank you. Thank you very much. We really appreciate you coming on and having some fun with us here at Plastic Model Mojo. Thanks again, Chris. All right. Well, so Mike, uh, do you have any shout outs this, uh, this episode? I do have a couple of shout outs. Okay. Give me My- one. My first shout out goes out to Chris Wallace for being our first ever Plastic Model Mojo interview subject. Absolutely. It kind of ushers in a new content avenue for us and gets us over the the newbie the newbie hurdle. So we appreciate that, Chris, for, for joining us. And I hope everybody enjoyed the interview. And I appreciate him letting us experiment on him a little bit since it was our first time. And if you haven't gone and, and taken a look at his model airplane maker blog, please go do that. Um, my shout out is to a company called Color Coats. Uh, they're out of Britain. Uh, they make, it used to be White Ensign Model, and now it's Color Coats is the paint line that they do, and it is an enamel paint that I like a whole lot. It goes down well. It reminds you very much of the old Humbrels, including the fact that it comes in the tins like Humbrel did. Um, It sprays very similar to Humbrel. It thins very similar to Humbrel. Um, it's, It's just fantastic paint. The only downside is that... Uh, there's only one distributor here in the U.S. called H&B Hobbies. And because it's enamel paint, you can't order, uh, you, you can't place orders for individual tinlets directly from the manufacturer due to the shipping restrictions uh, on enamel paint. So that makes it 
a little bit of a pain in the butt, but it is well worth picking up Color Coats paints. I really like them. I like the way they spray, and and I just wish I had more access to them across the entire range. I've got another one. Okay, give it to me. Our friend and listener, uh, Hector Colon, yeah. and his clubmates, his clubmates at the Butch O'Hare IPMS out of Chicagoland. Yeah. Uh, we'll be sporting some nice t-shirts next time we can go to a model show. Uh-oh. Did we get swag? We got swag, man. As a token right. of their gratitude, as a token of their gratitude for keeping it real during the pandemic, they've uh, sent us some uh, swag, including some t-shirts. And I tell you, this has been a common theme in the, in the uh, listener mail across the other podcasts as well. Folks are really digging the fact that, uh, they can sit at home and listen to all this stuff and we're helping them have fun at home and have their mojo inspired at the bench. So, uh, that's kind of why we're doing it. And I'm sure Dave and Stu are, are kind of doing it for the same reasons and, uh, really appreciate it, Hector. And and thanks go out to the Butch O'Hare chapter for the, for the gifts. We appreciate it very much. Very much. Appreciate it. So, Mike, I think we've come to the end of probably our longest episode ever. So, uh, I, I think you're right, Dave. So, so many kits. So little time. See you next time, Mike. All right, Dave. We'll see you next time. Yeah.